well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. We're going to be talking concealed carry today. Taking a look at what's going on in one of the most anti-gun states in the Union, at least historically speaking. And unfortunately, they are uh, they're living up to their history there in Hawaii right now. Uh, over the past... Well, three months now, I guess, maybe four months, we have seen uh, states around the nation respond to the uh, Supreme Court's decision, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, uh, in one of two ways. In the shall-issue states, the vast majority of the country, now it just changed, quite honestly. But in those handful of uh, formerly May-issue states, many lawmakers have been doing everything they can to try to uh, impede and infringe on the right to bear arms in self-defense in public places. And uh, Hawaii lawmakers, it's interesting, the state legislature, unlike New York, uh, did not go into special session to pass uh, new gun control laws, but they are going to be talking about it come January. Uh, In the meantime, they've basically left it up to the counties to set their own rules on uh, both uh, training as well as uh, sensitive places where guns are and aren't allowed. And uh, in Hawaii County, uh, it's been an interesting... I don't want to say debate, but an interesting process. The original bill that was introduced, a bill called the Bill 220, basically mirrored uh, New York's Concealed Carry Improvement Act. I like to refer to it as the Concealed Carry Infringement Act, but uh, whatever. Uh, Laundry list of sensitive places where guns were banned, uh, including by default all private property. What was fascinating is that during the first debate uh, in committee, there were dozens of residents who turned out in opposition. Not a lot of folks who showed up in support of these gun control measures. And I think it really took some of these council members back because they ended up pulling the bill from consideration. They said, okay, we're going to work on this. And yesterday, we got to see the uh, the fruits of their labor. Yeah, the uh, full council meeting to debate Bill 220 for the first time. Uh, and while there are some improvements over the uh, original bill still has a long way to go before it is uh, safe from court challenge uh, west hawaii today's michael breston uh, michael brestovansky uh covering the uh, council hearing and uh, reporting that bill 220 if passed uh would define certain areas on the big island as sensitive places where most people would be prohibited from carrying those places would include but not be limited to hospitals and other medical facilities schools quote, child-centric areas such as playgrounds and daycare centers, as well as religious centers, government buildings, and more. Yeah. So the hopes that the Hawaii County Council was going to do the right thing here, mm, I think have fallen by the wayside. Um, and there are a number of problematic aspects to Bill 220 as written, including uh, declaring all, quote, unquote, child-centric places to be sensitive places. Does Hawaii County, for example, uh, do they have metal detectors outside of every playground or public park? Do they have police officers routinely stationed there in case of violent crimes? If not, then why does the county consider that to be a sensitive place? In what way does the county consider that to be a sensitive location? What are they doing to designate it as sensitive or to treat it as such, other than simply applying a label on it? Um. That seems to be what the county is trying to do here. And that is specifically what Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas warned against 
in the Bruin decision, telling the uh, state of New York and New York City, you can't simply declare the Isle of Manhattan to be a sensitive place where guns are banned. Uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul, uh, you know, in, in the uh, hours before the uh, New York Concealed Carry Infringement Act was passed, uh, was asked by reporters, so so where are people going to be able to carry? She says, well, maybe some city streets. <laughs> okay, well, again, that, that's not what the right to bear arms in public is all about. And unfortunately, the Hawaii County Council members appear to be uh, still in thrall with the idea that uh, they can prohibit people from exercising a constitutional right uh, in many, many places that aren't sensitive at all. Uh, the bill, as I noted, already received public pushback uh, during a committee hearing last month. The bill uh, that was presented to the meeting yesterday, a second draft of the original bill, it did omit some clauses that had been included in the first draft, but most of those returned in the form of amendments that were at least debated. Uh, Hamakua Councilman Heather Kimball, uh, who introduced most of the amendments and was one of the few council members who said she was prepared to vote for the original bill as is, said the uh, process was to ensure that each aspect of the bill was as unambiguous as possible, though the reporter covering the meeting noted that the process still generated confusion among council members. So of the nine amendments that were up for debate uh, as part of the overall bill, three of them were ultimately approved. One of them, I I think, was a nod, at least, to uh, the idea that, yes, the the right to bear arms is real. Uh, But the other two... Mm, not so much. So the First Amendment would allow for firearms and medical facilities where permission has been granted by the facilities administrator, as well as in government building parking lots where the firearm is kept in a vehicle unloaded and in a locked case or with a locked trigger. Yeah. So I I appreciate <laughs> the slight recognition that the uh, Hawaii County Council members have shown when it comes to being able to, you know, park your car. Uh, and walk into a government building, one of the uh, one of the places that might uh, be upheld as a sensitive place, depending on how broadly. I think I think it's going to be tough. Just as Thomas talked about polling locations, legislative assemblies, and courthouses, but he didn't say anything about like the DMV or any building owned by a governmental entity, which is what Hawaii County is trying to do here. I think that is going to be legally problematic, but I think it's also legally problematic for them to say, okay, fine, you can have your car or you can have your gun in your car, but it has to be locked up, uh, unable to uh, to access it for the uh, purposes of self-defense. Again, that completely negates your right to carry. The other two amendments are even worse. Uh, there was an amendment that added public transit facilities and public vehicles to the list of sensitive places, as well as an amendment that added establishments that serve alcohol to the list of sensitive places. So even if you're not drinking, if you're a concealed carry holder, you're not allowed inside a restaurant where alcohol is served. If you're a restaurant owner and you want to allow those concealed carry holders to come in, you can't. You're not permitted to permit it, right? And again, that I think is going to be legally problematic. The ban on carrying on public transportation uh, is also, I think, ripe for a legal challenge here. In fact, we've seen similar lawsuits filed already. Uh, One in Illinois, challenging the ban on public transportation in that state. Another in Washington, D.C., where four gun owners are challenging uh, Metro's ban on firearms. In fact, those uh, four individuals recently filed a brief. We covered it at Bearing Arms, uh, noting that the district's response to the lawsuit 
in essence, ignored the Bruin decision completely, uh, offered no historical basis for uh, this type of prohibition. Instead, uh, try to use the interesting balancing test that the court has rejected, uh, arguing that, uh, yeah, oh, fine, there might be a right to keep and bear arms, but the uh, interest in public safety uh, gives the District of Columbia and the Metro Board the authority and the power and the right to ban firearms from all public transportation. Well, one of the reasons why they ignored the history is because there simply is no history of the types of widespread prohibitions on lawful carrying of firearms in public transportation that the district would need to point to in order to uphold the law under the text history tradition test laid out by the Supreme Court in Bruin. And since they can't provide that evidence, they're just going with the best argument that they have, an argument that, frankly, has already been squarely rejected by the court. So, yeah, I think if uh, the Hawaii County Council moves forward with this, they, too, are inviting a lawsuit, which actually is something that one of the residents who showed up at yesterday's meeting told them as well. Resident uh, Jason Blair said the Supreme Court has ruled that gun-free zones are unconstitutional. Not, not quite. Uh, he said that what Bill 220 proposes are merely gun-free zones with a new name. He added that a bill is a violation of not only the Second Amendment, but also the First and Fourth, and said that council members who support this bill will not have the county's protection from a lawsuit regarding the Bill of Passes. Uh, another resident, Brian Lay, said that licensed concealed carry holders statistically commit fewer crimes than law enforcement officers, that drunk driving kills many more people than firearms, particularly in Hawaii. And he said if you want to do something about public safety, you should do something about drunk drivers. You should do something about the fentanyl that's being pushed out there. Uh, in response, by the way, Heather Kimball, the uh, uh, pro-gun control city uh, county county council member in uh, Hawaii, uh, said, well, I actually know you're wrong, sir. There was a study by the British Medical Journal back in 2019 that showed uh, when uh, gun laws are relaxed, violent crime goes up. Now, we can point to studies. In fact, we talked with a, uh, a doctor out in Omaha about a month or so ago who uh, just did a study with some of his colleagues looking at what happens to crime rates and gun sales. Is there any correlation? And found no correlation between rising gun sales and violent crime rates. That's actually a follow-up to earlier research that looked at what happens to crime rates when states relax their concealed carry laws. And again, they found no correlation between uh, going from a May issue to a shall issue system or from a shall issue to a constitutional carry system and any change in the crime rate. So Kimball has her studies Opponents of Bill 220 have their studies. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like Kimball won out. Uh, the council, on a 7-1 vote, approved this measure. On second reading, they, it has to go back for a third reading about two weeks from now. Uh, but I would hazard a guess that most of the major changes have been made now. And what was approved on second reading is likely to be the uh, version that is approved and signed into law. And again, <laughs> challenged in court uh, because what the Hawaii County Council is doing goes far beyond mere regulation and uh, steps across the line into criminalization of a fundamental right. So we will keep our eyes on what's going on in Hawaii County, as well as what's going on in New York with the more than a half dozen lawsuits that have been filed. New Jersey, where lawmakers were hoping to pass a concealed carry bill, and then they realized, oh, crud, we, uh, we wrote this so poorly that we're going to ban people walking around with uh, like screwdrivers and hammers uh, if they're doing construction. So they've had to go back and uh, retool their carry bill, but they are still hoping to bring that forward in the next few weeks. Uh, Maryland lawmakers are going to take up the issue when they get back into session in early January. California lawmakers are going to do the same. 
So this is still very much a live issue, not only in the courts, but in state houses around the country. And uh, we are going to be keeping a close eye on all of these uh, anti-gun machinations here on Cam and Company. Uh, now let's turn our attention to today's uh, Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a case out of Washington State. Not quite a true recidivist report, but still cause for concern. The release of uh, four carjacking and robbery suspects in uh, the King County town of Des Moines, Washington, has sparked outrage with the uh, police chief and prosecutors objecting uh, to the fact that these uh, four individuals were set free basically three days uh, after they were arrested and accused of pretty violent crime. It was back on October 29th. There were uh, two men who uh, contacted police and said that they'd been approached by four to five men who were armed, who demanded that they lay down in the middle of the street. Uh, one man had a gun pointed at his head uh, and was told to hand over all of his stuff. The suspects then stole the other man's vehicle after pointing guns at him. About 20 minutes later, uh, officers from the Federal Way Police Department located the stolen vehicle. They also observed five suspects flee the vehicle on foot. And they gave chase. One adult male, three juveniles were captured, and uh, an officer recovered a handgun that reportedly matched the description provided by the victims. So the 18-year-old adult was booked into the King County Jail on a 72-hour investigative hold for first-degree robbery. The three juveniles, ages 17 and 16, two 17-year-olds, one 16-year-old, booked into the uh, King County Juvenile Detention Center on a 72-hour investigative hold for first-degree robbery. And then before that 72-hour period was up, all four suspects were released. Uh, by a judge. Two of the 17-year-olds released on electronic home monitoring. Uh, the 16-year-old released to his parents. 18-year-old released on personal recognizance. Yeah. Now, the police chief in uh, Des Moines, uh, a guy named Ken Thomas, uh, said that he was extremely disappointed with the decision to release dangerous armed violent criminals back into the community with seemingly no consequence. He said, uh, these actions taken by prosecutors and judges undermine the mission of law enforcement to help keep the community safe. And he said the two victims in this case were not taken seriously by our criminal justice system. Prosecutors pushed back, saying, uh, look, we argued to keep these suspects in custody. And instead, it was a judge uh, who decided to release these individuals over the prosecutor's objections. However, there's also a little more to this story. The King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office also said that uh, while the prosecutors had argued that the adult suspect should be held on $100,000 bail, and the juvenile suspects should be held in juvenile detention. The documents submitted by police for the court appearances for all four suspects contain a question. Does law enforcement object to their release? And for all four of these individuals, the no box was checked. Yeah. Spokesman for the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office says the defense was aware of this and was considered by judges as a counterpoint against prosecutors' argument to hold suspects in secure detention. We have previously shared with police the importance of this section and objecting to release. So while the police chief blaming the judges and prosecutors, prosecutors blaming the judges, but also pointing the finger back at police saying, listen, your officers did not object to these suspects being released. Now, maybe if they had, they'd still be behind bars. Now, maybe not. Maybe a judge still would have released them on their own recognizance, released them on electronic monitor, released them to their parents. But it is hard to complain about the, uh, you know, soft criminal justice system when the officers themselves apparently did not object to the release of these suspects, right? Now, today's Armed citizen story. 
from uh, Ohio. <laughs> this this might be my favorite defensive gun use headline in quite some time. Maybe top five ever, actually. Partially blind man shoots home invader in the buttocks. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, even if you are partially blind, you do still possess the right of self-defense, and you possess the right to keep and bear arms. This was in Franklin, Ohio. It was uh, early yesterday morning. Police say they were called to a home about 3.30 after a homeowner said he shot at a burglar. Victim told 911 dispatchers, I got a shot off him. He was coming right towards me. Victim's nephew uh, told local uh, media, Channel 12, uh, that his uncle was partially blind or is partially blind. He just got over to the hospital Tuesday evening. And... Uh, and again, was confronted by this uh, burglar in his home. Uh, police, with the assistance of a canine, followed a trail of blood uh, down a nearby alleyway, and they found 36-year-old Jeffrey Carl hiding in a shed. Uh, that shed, owned by a gentleman named Joe Lewis, who happens to be a friend of Jeffrey Carl's. Uh, Lewis was interviewed by Local 12 and uh, said, my reaction was, damn, somebody shot that boy in the ass. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently that's what happened. Um, Jeffrey Carl... Apparently knows the uh, homeowner in question as well and told police that the victim was, quote, an uncle, pretty much. He said he broke into the victim's home when he did because he thought that the victim would still be in the hospital. Wow. That's what you do to somebody you, you consider an uncle? Holy cow. Now, uh, Jeffrey Carl's buddy, Joe Lewis, says he's not a dangerous person. He's just got issues like all of us do. Channel 12 says those issues include a history of drug and weapons charges. Victim's family says before he was shot, Carl stole guns and music equipment from the victim. Uh, Carl, taken to local hospital, then taken to jail. He'll be charged with burglary, and they also had a warrant out for domestic violence. His uh, friend Joe Lewis says, I'm hoping, I'm hoping he gets it right. Hoping he gets his life right. That'd be nice, but uh, in the meantime, first of all, just don't steal in generally. Don't don't break into people's homes and you can avoid being shot. But, uh, you know, listen, if this is how you treat your family or someone you consider to be family, someone you, uh, you know, consider an uncle. Holy cow, man. I think uh, I think you're going to have to have a, a conversation with your defense attorney because I'm pretty sure your uncle or your uncle doesn't consider you to be a member of the family anymore. Uh, we'll follow up with this story if we can find any more details going forward. But, uh, yeah, the burglar's going to be okay. He's facing charges. The uh, homeowner, thankfully, uninjured, unharmed, and uh, uncharged. Finally today, our good deed of the day in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A New York police officer on vacation in Washington State who ended up walking several miles down a mountain after running across an injured hiker. Yeah. Uh, Dave Mahabir is a uh, police officer in Clarkstown, New York. And he and his girlfriend were on vacation in Washington State. They were doing some hiking in the uh, Cascades. Uh, they were about 10,000 feet, actually, when they spotted a couple in trouble. Uh, Cheryl Diekman had been on a hike with her husband, and uh, she fell down. And she said, I knew my leg was broken instantly because I heard it, and it was loud. Now, when uh, Dave Mabier and his girlfriend came across Cheryl Diegman and her husband, the couple was already being helped by two nurses who happened to be hiking. Uh, Evan Blomquist was one of those uh, assisting the woman. He says it was pretty obviously broken. He said, I see broken bones all the time, so I know what they look like. Uh, Blomquist and his uh, friend had made a homemade splint, but they still didn't have a way to get uh, Cheryl Diegman down the mountain. Uh, 
And Dave Mybeer said, uh, just put her on my back. So he sat down, and that's what they did. Put her on his back. Uh, Jensen Hamilton, who was the other nurse who helped, said, you know, if we would have waited, it went up to five or six hours. And by that time, it's dark. You don't know what happens when it's dark in a mountain. So we were all just like, yep, we're going to do it. We're going to get it down. Uh, and so uh, Officer Mobier and uh, Evan Blomquist took turns uh, carrying the 58-year-old woman more than three miles down this mountain until they were able to reach a rescue vehicle. Uh, my beer says my legs are buckling, they're shaking, but like I said, we had to do what we had to do. Uh, thankfully, they were able to get uh, Cheryl Diekman medical attention, and according to NBC New York, Diekman's so grateful for their heroism that they sent handwritten thank you notes and a letter to the police chief back in Clarkstown. Scott Diekman said he told the police chief that, it, quote, it was evidence that there is still good in the world, and uh, Cheryl Diekman calls uh, Evan Blomquist and Dave Mobier her angels. Mobier, by the way, says in hindsight, he cannot believe that he was able to make it down the mountain. He said his adrenaline and his police training and his heart uh, made it happen. He said it's just people helping people. So I think for us as police officers, helping just comes naturally. It feels natural. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, helping a woman with a broken leg down a 10,000-foot mountain. Officer uh, Dave Mobier, uh, and, and well, uh, as well, uh, Evan Blomquist. Uh, and Jensen Hamilton, all those good Samaritans who uh, stopped to help a woman in need, we thank you for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. We'll be back tomorrow with, uh, no, actually, we won't. Today's Thursday. All right, so we'll be back on Monday with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. We will, however, be constantly updating BearingArms.com Friday and throughout the weekend. So make sure that you're visiting the website. I'd say more than once a day because we've got all kinds of news breaking all across the country. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member at Bearing Arms. All you have to do is go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way was saying, thanks for showing your support for the independent pro-Second Amendment journalism we do at Bearing Arms. We're going to give you exclusive content, news stories, and analysis you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter and it really does make a difference. So thank you again. All right. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. We'll see you back here soon. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.